1: This may be triggering for survivors of suicide loss and those with lived experience. Please proceed with caution. If you're in crisis or having thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text TALK to seven four one seven four one. For more resources, please visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention's website at afsp.org. /find support Hey guys, I just want to say I appreciate you tuning in to our first Q&A episode. We received well over 100 voicemails and they are still coming in steadily. I want to thank you for your interest and for caring enough to take the time to call in and share your questions. Feel free to continue sending in questions via email and we will look for ways to address these based on any related calls we get. But as a reminder, we ask that you consider calling into our voicemail line at 470-300 4915 so that we can actually play your questions and answer them directly in any future Q&A episodes. All right, let's get into it. <laughs>
2: I had a question
3: about if there was any tracking of Christian's phone pinging off any towers and any activity of him 12 hours before his death. All right, thank you.
1: We do not have any data from cell towers. You have to have a court order or subpoena to obtain cell tower data, and the Andriacios did not make any civil litigation claims at the time.
2: I was just wondering how Whitley didn't hear the gunshot. She was able to hear Dylan yelling to her that, Christian was dead, and I know that y'all talked about her not hearing the gunshot, but has that part been discussed, how she heard him yelling if she couldn't hear the gunshot?
1: I wish I had a better answer for this, but I'll just say in my opinion, I see this as highly improbable. I will add that as a reminder, Whitley's reasoning for not hearing the gunshot was that she had taken Xanax and was asleep.
0: My name is Tasha from Minnesota. Oh my God, this story is amazing, but it's so frustrating. I just have really deep questions about the police and what the ramifications are for them for screwing this up. Bye.
1: Ramifications for the police department could range from none to severe, depending on if you believe it was just the outcome of an inept investigation, or if you believe it was done intentionally, which would then become criminal and if proven, could lead to those involved facing charges for obstruction of justice, conspiracy, and possibly accessory after the fact.
0: Hey y'all, this is Kelly from Georgia and I was calling with a question about the culpable podcast. But first I would like to say that my sincerest thoughts and prayers are with this family. I've listened to a lot of podcasts and there's not been a family that my heart hurt for like it does for this family. And just recently, having watched a show where the crime was solved by the daughter filing a wrongful death lawsuit when it was a similar situation where the investigators weren't doing what they should be doing and the family wasn't getting the help from the police department that they should be, she filed a wrongful death civil lawsuit against the family. Is that not an option for this family at this time? Thank you.
1: The statute of limitations for wrongful death suits is three years in the state of Mississippi, which means we are beyond that time frame.
0: I was just wondering if this Matt Miller character was ever questioned and if he had any dealings with Christian, if they had any sort of a relationship.
1: Matt Miller was questioned by the Andreacchio's investigators and then taken to MPD and questioned there and given a polygraph. We have not seen results of the polygraph, but the Indriacchios were told that he passed the test. As far as he and Christian's relationship, they had a run-in when Christian was 17 years old. Christian and two friends spray-painted Matt's tires one night, and Christian was charged with malicious mischief. Christian paid the millers for the damages, and the charges were dropped. Christian and Matt did not socialize in the same circle of friends, so their paths rarely crossed. They were not antagonistic to one another after that and Matt has told investigators he had no ill will toward Christian.
3: Hi, I'm leaving a question about the Christian case. What can we as the public do to bring more awareness
0: to the police department or the FBI to get more eyes on the case? Thanks.
1: Anyone who has contacts with the DOJ, FBI, or U.S. attorney who could bring Christian's case to their attention would be greatly appreciated. The Andriakios feel a way to truly make a difference in Christian's case, is to get a federal agency involved. But making phone calls or sending messages to national media outlets is also a good option.
0: If Christian is working on a tugboat, does he have to punch in and out whenever he has to leave?
1: Christian did not punch a time clock. His shift was 5.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m., then 5.30 p.m. to 11.30 p.m. He sometimes had to work longer hours if he was on watch.
0: Hi, this is Beth from Kansas, and I have a two-part question. The first is whether information from the Chick-fil-A receipt is available, and does it match Dylan and Whitley's reports regarding how many people were present in the home in the hours leading up to the time of death? The second part of that question is whether or not the contents of Christian's stomach were examined at autopsy, and if so, what are the findings? Thank you so much.
1: At one point, the Andriacios did have a copy of the receipt, that copy has been lost at this point. However, bank records confirm the transaction at Chick-fil-A at 1.06 p.m. on February 26th for the amount of $20.04, and Christian's brother Josh can attest to finding the following evidence at the apartment upon his arrival. Upstairs at the scene, there was one Chick-fil-A cup in the bathtub next to where Christian's right shoulder would have been. Downstairs, there was one cup and a bag of food, including a sandwich and fries, sitting on the bar above the couch, as well as a bigger-sized Chick-fil-A bag on the coffee table. Josh's guess is that the trash for the other two meals were in the bag, but admits that he never checked inside the bag for any contents. Christian did have partially digested food particles in his stomach. But to clarify, the report could not confirm whether or not the particles were from the Chick-fil-A food.
0: Hi, this is Lita calling from Los Angeles, and I had a question about cell phone records. I'm wondering how Whitley's cell phone records were obtained and the cell phone ping off of cell towers, if you guys have any records of that, especially for Matt Miller's phone. Like, where was he at the time of the murder? Can't wait to hear the next episode. Thank you.
1: I'm assuming this question is in regards to the text that we read between Whitley and Matt. Matt shared those texts with investigators. As for cell phone records, there was a warrant signed to obtain Whitley and Dylan's records. But if they were obtained... That information was never divulged to the family. We do not have any phone activity as it relates to cell tower pings. As a culpable listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. One thing I've learned working in true crime is that your best line of defense is vigilance and preparation, which is why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. I happen to live in a pretty nice neighborhood, but as you know, Crime has a way of being anywhere at any time, even when you least expect it. When our car was broken into and items were stolen, I was so relieved to know that my home security system got the footage and it eventually led to us being reimbursed by the perpetrator once they were caught. Crime is just waiting to happen. So be prepared at all times and equip yourself with Simply Safe, the best home security system of 2024, according to US News and World Report. Simply Safe has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit SimplySafe.com slash culpable. That's simplysafe.com slash culpable. There's no safe like Simply Safe.
2: hey guys awesome podcast really enjoying the storytelling and the case itself this is denny collins from cleveland tennessee regarding the ballistics the gunpowder residue could it be possible to match the gunpowder residue with the type of gun that was used and if so what were the results of the matching residue from the three individuals? And was there any evidence that linked those three together? And was there any discussion of how the gunpowder residue might have been on Christian's hands? Keep up the good work and we'll enjoying the podcast. Thanks guys.
1: Based on the results that were obtained, there is nothing to indicate that the gunshot residue was matched to a certain type of bullet or that the residue found on Christian, Whitley, and Dylan were linked. As for the gunshot residue on Christian's hands, Experts we contacted have confirmed that the location of the residue, namely the residue on his right palm, is not indicative of him being the shooter, as his palm would have been gripping the stock of the gun.
0: Hi, my name is Isabella Porter, and I am a listener of the new podcast called A few things that have really boggled me with this case is why wasn't it further investigated that the gun was in his non-dominant hand? Thank you, I love your podcast, and I wish you guys well.
1: Unfortunately, I can't explain why police did not look further into the gunshot residue found on Dylan and Whitley's hands, nor the position of the gun at the scene. And there's nothing reported that she was directly questioned about the story of Christian putting the gun to his head. The only question related to that is what we shared from the MPD report. She was asked if Christian ever mentioned hurting himself, and her response was, I don't think so.
0: Hey guys, this is Jessica from Northern Alberta, Canada of the podcast so far, it's pretty appalling. So I'm just wondering, did the police keep any evidence from Christian's apartment, like the gun or the mattress, or even take any of the cell phone records from Whitley or Dylan or Christian? Keep up the great work, and I look forward to the rest of your podcast. Thanks.
1: According to the report, evidence obtained by MPD were the gun, a projectile, a casing, and the gunshot residue test. Hi, my name is Kyle Taylor out of Columbus, Ohio. I had one question regarding the gun residue that you guys mentioned in the podcast. I was wondering if handling the
2: gun could spread that gunpowder residue, not just firing the gun. I don't know anything about it specifically, but I appreciate the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks. Bye.
1: Handling a gun can, in fact, transfer gunshot residue. And while it can commonly be found transferred onto the palms of someone's hands, in this case, it is difficult to reconcile how two people would have residue transfer onto the backs of their hands.
0: My name is Victoria, and I just wanted to say that I absolutely love your podcast. You have done an amazing job. But so my question for you is, I know that they were looking for the passcode to Christian's phone. I would think that Whitley would have the passcode being his girlfriend and I was just wondering if you had talked to the family about that and whether or not they were able to, you know, ask Whitley whether or not she has the passcode. Thanks a lot and thank you for this amazing show. Bye-bye.
1: It seems as though Whitley did know the pen to Christian's phone. Remember, it's likely that she and Dylan both used it after Christian was dead. Let's go back to a segment from episode four. The Andriacchios were able to acquire Christian's call records from AT&T. Here's a rundown. Christian called Whitley five times between 5.16 p.m. on February 25th and 12.50 a.m. on February 26th. Then one more call to Whitley was placed at 7.15 a.m on February 26th. She did not answer any of his calls. There were four calls to and from Dylan between 1.37 a.m. and 8 a.m. on February 26th. This presumably had to do with the arrangements being made to be picked up from the boat. And there was an additional incoming call from Dylan at 12.40 p.m. One call to Ray was placed at 7.43 a.m. Christian kept it short and said he had to get off the phone to work and did not mention anything about getting off the boat. Where it gets interesting is after the last call to Dylan at 1240. After that 1240 p.m. call, there was no activity until 3.44 p.m. It's important to note here that the coroner estimated the time of death to be 3.30 p.m. But from 3.44 p.m. to 3.54 p.m., Christian's phone was used to call Matt Miller six times and one additional call to Matt was placed at 5.11 p.m. None of these calls were answered. And finally, between 4.48 p.m. and 4.55 p.m., Christian's phone was used to place one call to an unknown number, one call to a close friend of Dylan's, and there's a call to and from Dylan's mother. This is the end of the phone activity, per AT&T's report.
0: Hey guys, really great job on the podcast so far, and really looking forward to the upcoming episodes. My question is just simply, when Christian told Dylan to wipe out his bank account, how much are we talking about here? Thanks. Looking forward to the rest of it.
1: Christian had approximately $1,300 in his account.
0: Hi, my name is Christine. I wanted to know if anyone in the apartment complex heard the gunshot or activity in or around the apartment complex. Okay. Thanks so much. You guys are doing a great job. Please keep telling his story. Thanks.
1: It's important to note that while I'm sure there were people in the apartment complex when the incident occurred, it did occur during normal business and school hours, so that may have limited the exposure. To our knowledge, police did not canvass the area, but they did speak with one neighbor, and that is documented in the report. I'll read his statement along with questions and answers. This statement was taken by Demarcus Wilburn with Meridian Police on April 9, 2014. On February 26, 2014, I left work at Atlas Roofing around 3 p.m. and I went to Medic Save Optical and ordered some glasses, and then I went home and then I went to Dollar General. I made it to the apartment complex around 4.15 p.m. I turned by the mailboxes heading to my apartment, and I noticed a gold either Chevrolet or GMC truck parked next to a silver BMW in front of Christian Andreacchio's apartment, and the truck was still running. At first, I thought it was the maintenance man truck, but I noticed that the truck had big chrome tips on the muffler turned out behind the tires. I knew then that it was not the maintenance man truck. When I parked, I was sitting in my car, and I noticed that the truck pulled out of the parking space and drove down past my apartment and went around the bend and turned around and came back and then left the complex. I went into my apartment, and around 5 to 6 p.m., I left out of the apartment, and I saw the police, so I drove by there, and I saw the detectives and the ambulance, and I knew something had happened, and I left the complex. How do you know Christian Andreacchio? I work for his mom at Alliance. How did you know that the silver BMW belonged to Christian Andreacchio? His mom had stated it. Did Christian's mom have you watching his apartment? Yes. She wanted me to keep an eye on the apartment and see who was coming and going at the apartment. I think it was because of a disagreement or something with the girlfriend. Had there ever been any strange activity going on at Christian's apartment before his death? No. That vehicle sitting there was strange. It just was there when it happened. Is there anything else you want to add to your statement or any questions? No. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing.
3: But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household.
1: Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. Okay. No one's answering.
3: I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Chris in Montana.
0: Listening to the podcast, I have a thousand questions on this one, but the main one would be this. Where did the police find the slug after the gun was fired? There's something more to this, as you know, and I'm glad you guys are getting to the bottom of it. Great podcast. Love the show. Keep up the good work. Bye.
1: The expended bullet and casing were both found in the bathtub.
0: Great podcast. I do have a question though: If there was no blood spatter at the scene, wouldn't they have been able to smell like maybe a cleaning agent, like Clorox, or... They would have noticed some reason as to why.
1: If considering the possibility of a cleanup, I would say yes, there's a good chance you could smell a cleaning agent, if in fact one was used. But I can't say that without a doubt. I will say that I don't think you can make it disappear completely without a cleaning agent. However, I think you can remove some blood without a cleaning agent. For example, it would be easy to wipe blood from a tile floor with a little water and a towel or an item of clothing. Remember, there was blood at the scene. There was just a lack of it, considering the circumstance. We will get into more on the blood at the scene in a coming episode.
0: Hi, I am just a listener, and I just want to know, was anybody, including the body, ever tested for drugs? Meaning, Whitney, Dylan, or Christian, or any of them tested for drugs, because this is all very reminiscent of crystal methamphetamine's activity.
1: Christian had experimented with drugs in the past, but it seems this changed when he started working on the boat, as they frequently performed drug screens. He would drink when he was at home, but not on the boat. According to toxicology, Christian tested negative for drugs and alcohol and there is no report of Whitley or Dylan ever being tested. That's the last of the voicemail questions you'll hear in this episode, but I do have a few other items I'd like to address based on questions we received. So let's work through these. The first. A lot of you asked for clarity on the main points that came out of Whitley and Matt's text. So I want to share what all I gathered from their texts. Whitley texts Matt on the night of the 25th, to meet up and go over to Jets for gun night. Then, late in the morning on the 26th, she texts Matt, asking him to come pick her up because Christian's kicking her out. Matt says he can't because he's at work. Something to think about here is whether or not she stopped with Matt. Did she accept that she didn't have a ride and leave it at that, or did she ask someone else? She then says that she doesn't remember shit from the night before, gun night. While I don't think that statement in and of itself says a lot, I do think it's important in that it has to be an exaggeration. And I say this because in their next thread of messages that began about a week later, she makes it clear that she at least remembers one detail from that night, and that is that she shot a gun that night. And when she says this, interestingly, Matt doesn't deny her claim. She goes on to tell him that the residue she tested positive for was proven to not be linked to Christian's gun which I mentioned earlier, the test results had not been released at this point, and I have no idea where that information would have come from. It's not corroborated in the police report or mentioned in the test results. Regardless, their conversation continued from here, and he began to challenge her on different stories he'd heard about what happened and what she'd told him. And this is easily the most interesting portion of their text exchange. I'm just gonna read this section. Matt asks, did you find Christian or did Dylan find him? Whitley responds, Dylan. Matt says, you told me you woke up to a gunshot and found him. Whitley responds, no, Dylan found him, told me, and I found him. Matt says, you told me y'all fell asleep together and you woke up to a gunshot, ran upstairs and found him. You said nothing about Dylan. You said you found him. Whitley responds, Dylan didn't even go upstairs. Dylan told me to check on him, and I did, and he was dead. So, that's the main points that I take from their conversation. It certainly leaves a lot of questions, and I'll leave it at that. Moving on, the next item I'd like to address that we received numerous questions on is in regards to Christian's cell phone that we talked about in episode four. I said in that episode that upon retrieval, the Andriacchios were not able to get into the phone. They were able to get his AT&T records, and we shared that. And those records were all they had to go on for a while. Keep in mind though that this is a case that has spanned over five years. There's a lot of information to share, and we're telling a story here. We are nowhere near the end of the story, and to clear the air a little on the subject of the phone, I'll just say that you're going to hear more on that in the coming episodes. And lastly, we've received a lot of questions pertaining to Matt and Jet's alibis for gun night, namely who shot the gun that night. It is our understanding that Facebook posts made by both Matt and Jet, questioning the legitimacy of their accounts may have triggered doubt or confusion with some of our audience. Just as a reminder, these interviews were conducted years ago by investigators hired by the Andriacchios and the recordings of them were, of course, shared with us. After consulting with our partners at Tenderfoot, we made a decision, based on past experience, that rather than play very poor quality audio in the episode, we instead would reenact the interviews to improve listenability. But just to clear things up, as it pertains to their alibis given to investigators about who shot the gun on gun night, here are Matt and Jet's accounts, in their own voices, from the originals. Here's Matt first.
2: I shot it. She was scared, too. Yeah, she was scared, too. But I shot it. No, Jet shot it first, my cousin. Uh, He shot it. Then his friend shot it twice, and I shot it three times. I said, here, you want to shoot? She said, no, I'm terrified of God.
1: And now here's Jet.
2: I shot probably five times, and Matt probably shot
0: two or three, and then she shot the rest. Just out in the woods, you know?
1: I want to acknowledge that we simply could not get around to answering every question that came in. But the good news is, in reviewing the questions, it's safe to say that if your question was not addressed in this episode, it likely will be addressed in a future Q&A or main episode. Thank you again for calling in and for listening. We'll be back on Monday with Episode 7.
3: Copable is a production of Black Mountain Media and Tenderfoot TV in conjunction with Cadence 13. Executive producers are Dennis Cooper, Jacob Bozarth, Donald Albright, Payne Lindsay, and me, Mark Minery. Additional production by Whitney Bozarth, Courtney Cooper, Meredith Stedman, and Mason Lindsay. Audio editing, mixing, mastering, and sound design by Resonate Recordings. If you have a podcast or are considering starting a podcast of your own, I urge you to check them out at ResonateRecordings.com. Theme music and score by Dirt Poor Robbins. Cover art by Drew Bardana. I want to extend a special thanks to Mike Hines, Sheila Wisaki, and Lance Black. You can follow us on social media at Copable Podcast. Show notes, as well as bonus content, can be found on our website, copablepodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please take time to subscribe, Rate and review. Your feedback is greatly appreciated. And lastly, if you have any information related to the death of Christian Andriacchio, please email us at tips at blackmountainmedia.net or call us at four seven zero three zero zero four nine one five. Thank you for listening and tune in for new episodes every Monday.